Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Hey, you know RJ, Kraken going to be starting a seven-game road trip. Queen Anne Beer Hall, pretty nice place to go check out some of these away games. Still feel, you know, get some of that CPA energy, be surrounded by Kraken fans, get that experience. Just just throwing that out there for everybody. <laughs> oh, for sure. If, if you miss the Kraken home experience with a bunch of fans cheering on, on the team, no better place to watch the games than Queen Anne Beer Hall. I mean, it's it's just like being in there in the arena, except, uh, yeah, actually, you might have a, depending on where you sit, you might have a better, closer up view of the game being on the TV there. I was going to say, and it might end up being a cheaper night out as well. <laughs> that is true. Doesn't cost $300 to get into Queen Anne Beer Hall, that's for sure. Um, all right. So, uh, huge news that we got to talk about here to kick off the podcast probably going to be the first decent amount of this podcast rj and that is that the nhl partnered with discovery discover i should say just (laughs) announced that next year's winter classic brought to us by discover will be at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. You don't have to shout out the NHL sponsor. I know, I know. Featuring uh, the Seattle Kraken hosting the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, and yes, I threw in that loss there just to just to make them mad. Um, this is this is big news. It had been rumored for a little while now, RJ. Uh, rumors really started picking up steam last night. And then, of course, with today being this year's Winter Classic, we knew that the announcement was going to come about where next year's would be. And now we know. We can start planning for 2024 already. We're only two games into 2023, two days. And uh, already we got to start making uh, plans for next year. Uh, I love the 21st century, RJ. Yes, I know. Always good to think ahead there. And I like you throwing in the loss. Uh, on Las Vegas there. Hopefully the Kraken can uh, throw them another loss at the start Mm -hmm. of 2024 uh, in this game. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be a fantastic event, uh, you know, for the Kraken and for this market, for everyone here. Uh, I was so excited to hear the news. Obviously there were some kind of rumblings beforehand and, uh, you know, by the time the announcement was made, I think, you know, both you and I, Dylan, had a pretty good idea that this was going to happen, you know, but we wanted to wait until it was official to fully, you know, kind of talk about everything. And I'm so excited that we get to talk about this now yeah and there is a lot to talk about i guess the first thing is that you know all along as these rumors have been going we've been talking about the idea of look this is because seattle is a sports town uh we all know that and we all know how passionate everybody is about the seattle kraken but this is you know the league recognizing that and we were pretty certain that the league was going to recognize it like this is something that the league takes takes notice of not that long ago forbes had kind of published their their annual like hockey financials thing the business of hockey and they you know did all the current values for the teams what their operating income is what their revenue is and the seattle kraken solidly in the top 10 no matter how you slice it no matter what category you're you're sorting by whether it's value revenue or in our operating income seattle kraken are a top 10 team in the nhl only a season in i mean this is just talking about their their inaugural season and it wasn't even like a good season like i can't even imagine when this team starts making playoff runs and stuff like right like the kind of revenue that they'll be generating um and so you know it it did feel like hey okay the league is going to take notice of that they are going to reward that there's no way that they're not going to i'm still a little surprised that it's with an outdoor game we'll get into all of the 
potential stuff around that. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm really excited that, that the league is acting quickly on this and they're not trying to say like, well, yeah, you guys are doing great, but we're going to wait and make you pay your dues, so to speak, before we throw anything your way. Right. I think they see the reality. Seattle is a powerhouse hockey market already. And, you know, when that's the case, why wait? Uh, and as far as, you know, the event being a winter classic and maybe not something else like a draft or an all-star game, uh, Todd Lywick, Kraken CEO Todd Lywicky did address that uh, in his presser this morning. And, uh, you know, he said they explored a few different types of events, but he said the winter classic was high on our list. And that the league quietly came in, they did their side visits. The process had been going on for literally years, um, but it was a big deal for them to get uh, a game. He said, this is different than a draft. This is a game mm -hmm. where the fans can actually come and cheer and, and be a part of the event. Uh, you know, not just the event itself, but kind of before and after. Uh, whereas maybe with a, a draft or an all-star game, uh, that might not be the case as much. Yeah, and it's um, it is the it is kind of like the biggest thing it feels like that can that can be thrown a team's way and a city's way from from the league. So it it does feel like you know yeah, it's not a stadium series game where they could be you know in any given year they're doing like four of them or something, right? Like this is this is the winter classic. This is the thing that the league really prides themselves on, and they are awarding that to the Seattle Kraken a season and a half into their existence. Like that's, that's, that's pretty wild. Like I never did. I think the league would do that, do something like that with, with one of their big properties. And not only that, I just want to celebrate the fact also being a West coast hockey fan that we're getting a winter classic out on the West coast. Like that in and of itself is kind of blowing my mind, much less that it's going to Seattle so soon. Uh, so I, th I think that's pretty awesome as well. Yeah, I know. And growing up in California, this is something that we dreamed of mm -hmm. having a winter classic on the West Coast. And yes, there's been kind of the stadium series games. I, I felt like there was, you know, a little bit of a lack of you know, respect, recognition, whatever you want to yeah. call it from the league being like, OK, we can do an outdoor game on the West Coast, but we got to call it something different. It, it can't be the winter classic. Um, but they've brought it out here as the league's marquee outdoor event in Seattle. And I think it's just the perfect place to do it. Yeah. And it's not just some random game at Lake Tahoe or whatever with like no fans there, <laughs> right? Like, whatever, know, right? whatever those were. Um, so yeah, that, 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 all that stuff is, is really, it's big, it's huge. I mean, there's, there's nothing that anybody should be experiencing outside of excitement when it comes to this announcement. Um, but it does it does lead to a lot of questions. And these are all things that I've been thinking about and and I and I want to get your take on and I and I do think that they deserve to be talked about. Um that just because we've been hearing the rumors, been been trying to think about things, get the wheels turning, all that all that good stuff. And I'm going to preface this by saying this is only because these rumors have existed, so I've had time to really think about these. Feel free to ignore anything I say right now that maybe doesn't sound all that exciting or anything because the news <laughs> is is legitimately exciting and everybody should be very excited for it. But I do think that there are some stuff that, that we should talk about in here. And some of this stuff will be exciting too. Like don't like just turn this off thinking it's all going to be bad stuff. But the first thing that I want to talk about, and it's really the first thing that the league and everybody has been talking about, and that is the weather factor. Because you and I have talked about this when the rumors have, have popped up before. The idea of, look, snow is fine. They've been able to play these outdoor games in snow. You can just shovel the snow away. You can deal with snow. Rain, you cannot deal with. Rain is the one thing that can that can ruin an outdoor hockey game uh, because the water just pools on the ice. It will not freeze fast enough, and it's just going to 
create puddles that you can't really play in. It could be dangerous to skate through all of these, all of these issues. So Seattle known for rain. This was one of the reasons why we were maybe a little, um, not, not quite so fast to jump on board with the idea of Seattle getting an outdoor game just because we thought like, well, that's, that's a factor that the league is going to be very, very worried about. Now, obviously playing at T-Mobile, it has a roof. So there is, there is that aspect, but that does lead to the first question I have, RJ, which is, and they've, they've kind of talked about this. Gary Bettman's talked about this. If you play it at, at a ballpark to have an outdoor game, but it's raining and you have to close the roof, is it still an outdoor game? Right. And this was something uh, where Gary Bettman basically said no about three years ago when he was kind of floated with the idea of maybe having an outdoor game uh, at T-Mobile Park. And he seemed kind of against it. Um, and uh, I, I will say credit to Jeff Baker with the Seattle Times. He asked Kraken CEO Todd Laiwiki about that this morning, uh, kind of reminding him of that moment. And, you know, well, what's changed since then? Um, and uh, Laiwiki said that um, basically that, that Gary Bettman believed in the market. I th I'm trying to pull up the quote here. Um, I think he's seen what's happened here and he's been totally inspired by it. Um, and so basically I think Gary Bettman has seen what a powerhouse market Seattle is and figured, look, we, we need to get an event here. We need to get an outdoor game here. And, you know, maybe it's not the exact uh, venue that we, we might ideally want if we knew the weather was going to be perfect, but we have to make something that's going to work. And, uh, you know, that's still okay. Just to get an outdoor game in Seattle, uh, I'll take it basically. Yeah. And I I'll take it as well. Like I just think it's, <laughs> it is going to be an interesting situation. Uh, and we won't know for, for a while what that's going to end up potentially looking like, but I'm telling you everybody like seriously, Seattle Kraken fans pat yourself on the back. Cause you are the reason that this is happening. I know I said earlier, it's all about the revenue. It's all about the money and, and that, you know, it, the subtext of that quote is similar, right? Gary, Gary Bettman mm -hmm. saw how, how great this market is. Yeah. He, he saw the money that it's bringing in. But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That only happens because everybody really cares about this team and wants to go out. They want they want to rep the merch. You wanna you wanna go support them. You wanna go to as many games as possible. And so none of this hap you know, none of this happens without uh, all of you, the fans. So I, I do want to take another moment, just like remind yourself, like this is this is in part because of you. This isn't just you know some some backroom dealings or whatever. This is because the fans are super legit. Uh, one of the things that was talked about with in regards to the roof, just to kind of stick on this issue of weather just for a second, then I'll move on, um, <laughs> was the idea that, look, you can you can have the roof closed while you're building the rink for in the days leading up to it. We all know there's not really any other, you know, it's not going to be like baseball season leading up to this. Um, and so that is that is kind of interesting that they can have the roof closed. They can build out the rink, build out everything that they need to do, not worry about the weather. They literally only have to worry about the weather, the day of the event. And really just during the kind of window in which the the event is going to take place, which I, I do think greater greatens the chance of this, you know, actually being a true outdoor game roof open. Things are all OK. Yeah, agreed. And uh, that's that's part of the process that not a lot of people see. And um, Steve Meyer with the league was, was talking with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman about the, this this morning. And he said that it's while you're building the rink, you need to make sure that it does not rain on there. And so with the roof, they can close the roof the entire time they're building the rink. And then hopefully on the day of the event, they can just open the roof right up and then you have a true outdoor game. Uh, Todd Lywicki said, we hope 
it's on a day just like today where it's brisk out there, but we have the sun shining, we have the mountains visible, uh, and, and let's hope for that kind of weather uh, next year. Yeah, and it, it's totally possible. We will we will for sure see. Um, it is the other benefit of this is, you know, T-Mobile Park, the roof can, can open or close in only 10 or 20 minutes. So mm-hmm. if, if weather starts changing, whether it's for the better or for the worse, they can make that decision on the fly. This isn't like something that they have to make the call that morning. Like, all right, are we going all day without the roof or are we just going to have to play it safe and, and go with the roof? Like they can make this call you know, potentially during the game even, which, you know, I then have questions of like, how cautious are they going to play this? How, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, are they going to close it? Maybe just if there's a chance of it, would they, would they potentially decide to open or close it during a period? That's another thing that I think is intriguing. I think if, if the weather starts getting bad, they would have to close it during a period, but maybe if things are going well and the weather is starting to turn for the better, would they go ahead and open up the roof while the period is going, not knowing really what that would do as far as shadows on the ice for the players moving, all that kind of stuff going on. Like these are just the things that I've been thinking about for the last, you know, month or so while this has all been a rumor. (laughs) Uh, I just think it's fun stuff to, to kind of poke around. Um, The other thought with the with the venue that we've had RJ in the past has been, you know, these outdoor games at baseball parks, sight lines can become a problem because if you're sitting, let's say, you know, kind of field level, it the field, it's far away. It's essentially sitting at the same level of like glass level at a hockey game, only you can't sit up to the glass. You're sitting potentially 45 feet away from the ice. So like that's not a necessarily a great one. If you're sitting in an outfield section, sometimes if they build it over the infield, you're again, you're you're a far ways away from the ice. However, I was thinking about it, T-Mobile, like at least with the outfield, it's kind of elevated. And I feel like that that helps a lot to offset that distance factor. It should. And uh, one of the parts of the context of, of us talking about this is that we have attended an outdoor yes. NHL game at an MLB ballpark. It was at Dodger Stadium, Kings Ducks um, and the sight lines were terrible. I'm not going to yeah. sugarcoat it at Dodger Stadium. But I think if you look at T-Mobile Park versus Dodger Stadium, it's a more elevated outfield. Um, and I, I I also wonder, you know, where exactly I guess they're going to put the rink kind of like from the, the first base to the third base lines, I yeah. would guess. That's generally uh, what they decide there. to go with. Right. So I think I think the infield seating, you know, like foul ball territory is probably going to have some better views than uh, than the outfield. But I think the outfield's in a much better spot uh, than Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And and again, I mean, elevation helps if, if you're going to be like low in, in some of those situations. I mean, this is one of those times where the most expensive ticket might not be the best ticket. Just going to throw mm-hmm. that one out there. If you're going to be if you're going to sit up high, let's say, you know, on the third base side or first base side, sitting up high might be might be, you know, kind of the best place to be. Uh, and those tickets might not be priced to reflect that. So just throw it again, throwing these. These are things that I would want to I would think about before purchasing a ticket to this. Um, I, I don't know that what I just said to be true, but it's it is something to consider. Um so that's that's kind of everything that I had for the venue. I think otherwise it's a fantastic venue. I love that ballpark. I love going to see Mariners games there uh, growing up and everything. So I'm really excited for it. Um, and, I, and I think it's a good, you know, situated there in Seattle too to kind of showcase a lot of what Seattle is. You do get those, those sight lines far beyond the city too. I, I think it's nice. Um, the next thing I think everybody's going to be talking about, RJ, is going to be jerseys. 
because yes. the rumor for a long, long time has been this is where we're going to see, you know, a Metropolitan's throwback kind of jersey. And well, first off, did we did we get an announcement or anything like that yet? We did not. No, we did not get any kind of official announcement on jerseys. Uh, it's it's still in the rumor stage, but there have been some reliable people who have, uh, you know, have had basically confirmed that rumor as far as their own reporting, uh, including uh, Ali Murji, uh, who leaked a lot of the reverse retro jerseys. Um, so I, I think he's a pretty trustworthy source. Uh, Aesthetics has been on that as well. Uh, you know, a pretty good source with league yeah. jerseys and, and someone who's also Seattle based. So I think that uh, that really does hint that I think we're going to see a Metropolitan's type jersey design yeah. for this winter classic. And um and remember also with the reverse retro jersey this year, the the word around it was that we're not going to see a, a Metropolitan's jersey design because they're saving it for something more special, maybe right. like a winter classic. And so it all seems to be following that path. Right. And this is where the idea of it being a winter classic instead of just a stadium series game also comes in. Because, as you know, uh, maybe if, if you're newer to to, to uh, Seattle-based hockey or, or newer to ECH and stuff, the Seattle Metropolitans team that existed over 100 years ago were the first ever U.S.-based team to win the Stanley Cup back in 1917. And so to, to, to have a winter classic, because that tends to be where they focus on history and heritage and all that kind of stuff. I know they have the heritage classics up in Canada, but when they where they focus on all that stuff, to have it in the city that was the first U.S. city to win a Stanley Cup it would make a lot of sense to then, you know, really try to play out that narrative, focus on that idea and have the jerseys represent the team that was able to accomplish that over 100 years ago. Yes, absolutely it would. And there's there's just so much history here that um, you really can't find anywhere else on the West Coast. And maybe that was part of the, the league's decision mm -hmm. to host this marquee event, uh, you know, in Seattle as far uh, rather than doing a, a stadium series game. And I think they're going to be able to do an excellent throwback. Uh, to the Metropolitans. I know there were some questions and, you know, I'd heard kind of the story behind the scenes about uh, the difficulty in, in acquiring the rights to the Metropolitans branding and everything that there was a, um, you know, an, an owner of, of that trademark of, the, of that logo that was maybe a little bit hesitant to let the Kraken use it. Um, but clearly they must have figured something out here. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I almost don't even know like how long some of that stuff lasts as we see uh, it's, it's beginning a new year. So, you know, Sherlock Holmes and Winnie the Pooh now public domain. At some point, you'd think <laughs> a, a, a hundred year defunct hockey team might might enter something similar like that as well. Um, all right. So that that one's really intriguing. Like, do you have just 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 off the top of your head, any ideas for what this could look like? Like, it's like I'm assuming they're not going to be wool. I assume they're no. going to have uh, <laughs> name plates on them and numbers and, uh, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I, I mean, do you think they're going to go straight up with kind of the 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 Christmas colored striping and everything? That's what I would like to see. I want to see that barber pole striping. I want to see, uh, you know, the green, the red. The, I, I want to see that. Um, I think you want to get as close to that design as you can while mm -hmm. still having a, a modern and functional jersey. I'd love to see the S with the Metropolitan, you know, along yeah. the side. Um, I, just give me all of that. You don't need to change a thing. It's one of those that, you know, over 100 years, it kind of comes back into style. I think it looks cool for something like this. I know that... Um, what is it uh like ebbets feel or some some kind of there's a company that that'll yeah. make them you know just make it look just like that 
Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's going to be the best way to do it. Um, I am intrigued to see what Vegas decides to do for this. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and and while, we're, while, we're, while I bring them up, let's just talk about the idea of Vegas is the opponent for this. Now, obviously, it's it, it should be pretty easy to discern why, and the league has kind of been open about this. It was just... They're the two newest teams. Like, how cool would that be? Like, hey, a Winter Classic featuring the two new teams. Kind of throw them together. And I I understand that, RJ. But I am wondering, mm-hmm. like, do you think the Kraken at some point are going to feel too tied to Vegas just because they are the new kids on the block, so to speak? Like, because there isn't otherwise a lot of real history between the two cities, teams, organizations. Like, there isn't really anything there. Um, but kind of regularly, we do find ourselves kind of lumped into the same category with them just because we're both new. Yeah, and I think there's a certain level of that that's just inevitable that the Kraken are never going to really be able to get away from just being the two newest franchises. And I don't think there are any newer franchises coming for a long time. Yeah. So I think I think that's just something that we're always going to see. And I, and I know um, you, you look at this game and part of the reason why the Kraken got it so early in their in their histories because they're a powerhouse market mm-hmm. and uh, when the league has talked about vegas uh, we also had um uh what, sorry the guy with the league uh, talking about the ice earlier you know he was saying why <laughs> or in the roof yeah. i mean sorry he was um you know he was saying as far as why vegas like we trust that the fan their fans are going to travel they've been a great market and mm-hmm. so i think they want to showcase the success of the recent expansion too. I think it's part of it as a little bit, the league patting themselves on the back yeah. uh, as far as these two success stories with these last couple teams. And so, yeah, I just think you're always going to see that, that connection. <laughs> look over here. Look at, look at the right hand with these great, fantastic, good uh, expansion teams. Don't pay attention to the left hand holding the Arizona coyotes above water. Still. <laughs> um, I, I think there is something to that. I, I do think, though, that, like, is this a missed opportunity? If you're going to leave lean into the Metropolitans, if you're going to lean into the first U.S. city to hoist a Stanley Cup, you think, well, maybe Montreal, given that's the team that they wanted over and, and the, the, the Metropolitans kind of had a rivalry with 100 years ago. Like, that could have been really cool to have a Canadians-Metropolitans game, you know, a hundred years after they they played each other for a Stanley cup. Like I I think that would be really fun, but uh, I I am interested to see what Vegas does for this. It also just feels a little like, you know, Vegas, they've already had outdoor games. Yeah. They were like those like, like Tahoe, whatever games, but come on still. (laughs) Yeah. And then, or, you know, Vancouver would be another option with the the Vancouver millionaires history there. I mean, you know Mm -hmm. exactly what they could go with as far as a a retro Jersey. And it would feel like a hundred years old matchup. Um, And, and Todd Lywicki actually was asked about this basically. I think the question was something like, well, why not the Canucks? Um, And he's like, well, you know, we can't, we basically take any opponent at this point. We're just happy to, to host the game. He didn't, I don't think he really, want to criticize the choice of opponent um but uh, it was something that people were thinking about yeah um just just i'm just gonna mention it doesn't even need to like like we need to talk about it or anything but just like the music rj because every year at the winter classic at any of these stadium events they'll have concerts they'll have like an intermission concert they've got stuff done beforehand seattle obviously that stuff's gonna be fantastic (laughs) i gotta think they're gonna do a good job with it 
Oh yeah, I, it's got the potential to to blow all these other events out of the water as far as what we've seen music wise. When we were at Dodger Stadium, there was Kiss. Yes, Kiss concert promoting their new arena football team. Yes, uh, I believe uh, when I was at Levi's Stadium it was John Fogerty. So yeah. I, I think Seattle can probably do better. Yeah, I was gonna say who played later because there was someone later at the at the game we were at too because Kiss played the opener. And then right. during one of the intermissions, there was somebody, gosh, I don't remember, but it was just kind of like <laughs> one of those like Coldplay, Nickelback-y kind of bands, but not as popular. Yeah. Oh, it was Five for Fighting, I think. That's right. It was that Five is, for it Fighting. It was Five for Fighting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's hockey. Get it, huh? Yeah. Get it? Get it? Because they're like Kings fans or something, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so so that, that one's going to be interesting. I'm going to put the odds at three to one that Macklemore has the opening show. Oh, totally. And I take that all day. <laughs> You know he will be involved. Uh, so you got to throw that one out there. And then really for this next bit, I'm going to ask you this question, RJ, but I also really want to ask this about everybody else that can let us know. Uh, come at us on Twitter at Emerald City, HKY, Instagram, uh, joining our Discord. If you're on uh, YouTube, you can leave a comment below. But what do you want to see at or around this event for the Seattle Kraken? Uh, there's, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of fun stuff that's, that's, you can pull from, for the, the Seattle area that you can bring in. I, I'm really curious to, to hear what people want and, and maybe, you know, just some fun predictions for something like this. Oh, for sure. I know the community is going to have some great ideas. I mean, you can really let your imagination run wild with this. So please let us know on Twitter. Let us know, you know, in the comments if you're on YouTube here. I think that'd be a fun way to open up the next episode of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely read off some fun ones for the for next week. I think that would be a lot of fun. I mean, we already got the 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 guy talking about the ice situation and the weather, right? I think it was him who mentioned fish tossing. Like just when he was asked yep. about it, he mentioned the fish tossing. Um I feel like the Kraken already have a good thing for the fish toss, that being them mm -hmm. doing it after the wins. I don't know that Seattle needs to only be known for the throwing of fish. It, it, it is one of those stereotypical things that if you're, you know, if you're here for us, like, okay, yeah, we, we get it. Yeah, that happens over there where the tourists are. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a nice touch. Like the, And the Kraken made it work perfectly for their post-game yeah. toss in the fish. But uh, Steve Meyer is his name, by the way. I know I, I <laughs> forgot that earlier because I... I couldn't bring the right Twitter tab up, but Steve Meyer is his name. Want to get that right? Yep, yep, for sure. And then uh, last, I'm going to put at eleven to one odds that Bowie goes streaking all uh, gritty. Oh, that's right. I forgot about gritty going streaking. Yeah, I I could see Bowie doing that. I could I could picture that. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> <laughs> got to show but, up that tattoo, you know. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yep. They'll, they'll have to have like a tattoo cam following for the broadcast, just knowing that's coming. <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing to consider, everybody. What what do you want to see Bowie doing at this game? What do you think he's going to be doing? What kind of antics? How do we want this? How do we want this to all get played out? Kind of for for uh, for for the Kraken and their mascot Bowie. I think that's going to be an interesting one as well. Oh, for sure. You know, one more thing I want to see. Yeah. What? And if this might require the roof being open. I want to see sunglasses grew again. Yeah, that would be awesome. That yeah, would be when he awesome. was with the Avs at that Tahoe game, he wore sunglasses yep. under the goalie mask. I'd love to see that again. Um, I think it'd look even cooler in a Kraken jersey. Uh, I think so too. Or Metropolitan's jersey, I mean. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Uh, give me fireworks at the end of the day or something. You know what I mean? Like I know these are generally played to be like midday for the um, the East Coast audience, so it might be a little early. 
uh, out here mm-hmm. on the West Coast, but like they got to be able to do something. Just saying. All right. right. So that was obviously the, by far and away the biggest news, RJ, um, for the Seattle Kraken is, is them hosting next year's Winter Classic. Super, super pumped for it. But it's not really the only news from the Seattle Kraken as these last couple of weeks they've, they've played some games, RJ. And um, sure they've, have. They've had some mixed results in these games, RJ. <laughs> sure have. <laughs> um, now, their most recent outing was a win to kick off the new year the right way. We were undefeated, never trailed in, in 2023 so far. They, they were able to pick up that win over the Islanders. But really, through most of the last couple of weeks, the, the talk has been around, I don't know, the, the defense, coaching staff, like, uh, just a lot, a lot of stuff here, and so I, I do think that we need to go ahead and, and kick things off. Start starting off by talking about it. Um, let's start with the defensive play, RJ. Uh, it was better for this Islanders game. It was a real point of emphasis after that seven-two shellacking that they took at the hands of the Edmonton Oilers uh, last Friday night. Um, do you think that the Kraken can kind of sustain that that level of defense where it's just? You know, let's let's stay by the crease. Let's protect our goaltender. Let's try to take away passes net front. And and, you know, yes, it's more cautious. You're not going to lead to a lot of crazy breakout passes doing that. But it's kind of it's what we need to be doing right now um, just to just to kind of calm things down and maybe win some games. I think they have it in them and they've, they've showed in the past that they do have it in them. Um, and it was interesting because a couple days ago I asked Dave Haxtell about the defensive lapses and, and it was following the Oilers game and basically what goes into improving that. Is it something, you know, in the film room, is it something that you can work on and practice? And he basically told me that it's just this switch that kind of has to flip on like that points to more of a mental issue uh, where you have to be in that mindset and not, just forget guys in front of the net. Um, and I was hoping for maybe more of an X's and O's type of answer. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're cheating in a little bit too high on the PK, you know, when the guy has the puck, things mm-hmm. like that, you know, but I, you know, I should know better that an NHL coach is not going to, you know, give away secrets like that. Um, but, you know, with that Islanders game, it kind of looked like as a mental switch flipping on, especially at the start of the game where in that Oilers game, you're, you're down for nothing 10 minutes into the game. Uh, and on some really bad defensive lapses. And then by that point in the game, you've only allowed one shot on goal against the Islanders. And um, it just felt like a team that was more focused and that was really paying attention to, okay, where is everybody? You saw a lot more heads on swivels. Mm -hmm. I think they have it in them, but that's the thing about focus. Like, you know, how long can you, can you walk a tightrope and and maintain that focus when it just becomes your every day? No team can do it forever. Right. No, no. And we've kind of seen this really from this team earlier as well. Back in November, I mean, they started off the season a little shaky on defense with a lot of these same problems. And then they really righted the ship. And next thing you know, they got a five game win streak. You got a seven game win streak. The team looks absolutely unstoppable. And then that focus disappears. And next thing you know, you have a month like December where it's really hard to try to string two wins together instead you're kind of stringing losses together and things are tough and it's you got you know an iffy road trip and and things aren't aren't that great for you so hopefully the team can can keep it together hopefully the d can can continue to play like they played last night against the islanders because otherwise the rest of the team is 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 cooking for the most part i mean there's some talk top six forward issues that we can talk about a little bit later on but sticking with this idea of focus, sticking with the, the more recent stuff in light of this Edmonton game that happened 
where it really felt like a rock bottom moment for the way the Kraken were playing through most of the month of December. You know, obviously Dave Haxtall, he kind of challenged the team going into that Edmonton game. Things didn't go too well. And then as much as really any coach might, you kind of hear him kind of call the guys out, so to speak, in a way afterwards. And then the team responded. But, I mean, we've had people ask us questions, RJ. I mean, just last night on the post game, there was a, a comment from, from Joey. There should be leaders on this team where after losing 8 out of 10 before tonight, where players make one another feel you know accountable and hold them accountable. It shouldn't take a coach to call the team out kind of publicly for that. And I'd brought up, you know, also after that Edmonton game, the idea of you don't want the thing that motivates you as a professional team to be hitting rock bottom because that can take a while. And and you're just like <laughs> losing a lot of games as you finally kind of get down to that point where you feel like you you have to absolutely do something rather than trying to say of like, hey, I don't like this losing thing after we lost one or two games and then trying to turn the ship around. Kind of your your thoughts on... How much of this, how much in your opinion, because you've played a lot of hockey at the beer league mm-hmm. level, obviously not at the NHL oh, yes. level, but just in your opinion, how much do you think of it should come from the players trying to motivate each other, hold each other accountable, and how much of it do you think is really on the coaching staff to be out there and motivating these guys to, to get up and, and play better? Well, I'll start with saying embarrassment is a real good motivator. And, and Dave <laughs> yes. Haxtell did call the Edmonton game an embarrassing night. So yeah. um, I think that was really finally the kick in the pants the team needed, not even necessarily from from the coaching or the players, just just that level of embarrassment that everybody mm-hmm. feels uh, when you, as George Everly said, get your teeth kicked in like that. Or as Dave Haxtell said, got our nose rubbed in it pretty good. Mm-hmm. There are a number of ways that uh, people describe that game. Um, but uh, I do think that you know, yes, yeah, a lot of it has to come from the players. Uh, you know, the coaches can't be the ones, you know, just to to finally say, OK, enough is enough. Sometimes you do need that. And, and good on Haxtell for trying to get ahead of it, too, because before yes. the Edmonton game, he kind of challenged his team. He said we need to decide whether we're going to just go with the status quo that's not good enough or whether we're going to elevate our game to another level. And so it seemed like he he felt the team was slipping a little bit there and was trying uh, to light a fire under them. It didn't work right away. Um, you know, maybe it did need that embarrassment and, and you'd like to see the team turn things around faster. I mean, I will say that I, I was looking at this yesterday and that the Kraken have three three game losing streaks this season. But that's the longest that any of those streaks is gone. Uh, they've always been able to nip it in the bud at three games. Uh, and that's something they certainly weren't able to do last season. You'd see it go into seven, eight, nine. Um and I asked Dave Haxtell about that last night. You know, what's different this year that's stopping these slumps from snowballing into longer losing streaks? Because at, at a certain point, they have gotten it together for at least one game to right. stop the bleeding. And I thought his answer was kind of interesting because um, he kind of pointed to, to belief in themselves. Really, He said, I'll, I'll read the quote. The realization in this room is that we belong in this fight. We belong where we are in the standings. And so I think that's something that maybe they didn't have last season. And when I tweeted that that quote, I, I thought there was an interesting response here from um, Kevin Alshuler on on Twitter, and he's a sports psychologist. Um, so he you know he works with these kind of things, and he said one of the biggest factors prolonging slumps is the combination of fear and eroding confidence. Often fear that maybe we just aren't good enough. Having a robust and genuine belief that you are good enough is a kryptonite to these sorts of fears. And I think even just having a, a better roster, this, this different roster composition, having more talent, that belief that they can get out of this stuff. 
it, it has helped. Um, but yeah, you'd like to see the turnaround come a little bit sooner than when you've you know lost eight of your last 10. Um, but again, let's just hope this is kind of a springboard to better things on the road trip. I think the next week or two will be more telling um, because I don't think the Islanders played that well in that game. Mm-hmm. You know, against an opponent like, let's say, Edmonton again, who they're going to play right. tomorrow. You know, are they going to be able to play better? I think we're going to learn a lot more from that game than, than we can really say right now. Yes, I agree with that. And that's a fantastic um, response that we received there uh, to that quote, because I do feel like that that it helps us reframe what last season was for the Kraken. And it does kind of lead more into that because, you know, a lot of a lot of the leadership structure within the team is the same from last season, right? Like, yes, you've brought in somebody like an Andre Burakovsky who's won multiple Stanley Cups with different groups of people and and can bring that level of experience to your team. But a lot of it is the same. It's still, you know, all the guys wearing A's on their chest, Yanni, Eberle, Schwartz, Larson, like these are all the same guys who were there last year. And it, it kind of, to me, shows that, yes, last year they were really playing behind the eight ball. Like they were thrown together last minute they couldn't get to know each other. You had COVID protocols very much still in place. And the just the entire season was them just trying to keep their heads above water as they adjusted to being on this new team, playing together, being in a new city, uh, you know, creating a, a hockey team within this market, all of that stuff. Uh, and it just made it to the point where they couldn't ever gel or, or really get, get with each other and get behind each other and start really paying attention and focusing on things like winning because they're just focused on trying to get their personal life settled and trying to get used to playing (laughs) for this team and just get used to all that stuff as you're still dealing with a lot of other factors. So I think it does help reframe last season in in a lot of ways. And I think that that's, good perspective to have when looking back on that. Uh, but it is a it is a strong leadership group within the team, and I do think that that's why we're seeing them not go on prolonged losing streaks this year is because you have multiple people within this locker room that, you know, we just know are going to speak up. Yanni Gord is going to speak up. Uh, you know, a guy like uh, Jaden Schwartz, he's going to speak up. He's going to be a, a leader. Larson, maybe he's not going to speak up so much, but he'll be a, a quiet leader. He's going to you know, go in there and he'll he'll get the work done that needs to get get done and, and kind of set that tone. Um, but even even the guys that aren't wearing, you know, um, letters on their on their chest, uh, Brandon Tanev, right? Like a guy who has always been known as a heart and soul kind of player who goes out there and tries to give every shift maximum effort. And just having guys like that, a Burakovsky in there, like I mentioned earlier, somebody like an Oliver Bjorkstrand, all that stuff just it does matter and it helps create that culture of the losses almost don't even need to be talked about everybody's on that same page of yes we need to be better we need to do something different losing sucks and we're going to kick it into a high gear to make sure that we're not going to find ourselves in this continued situation or or and even somebody like a Maddie Beneers who is someone who very much seems like you know a much older player when you hear him talk about things like this. He does not sound like a 20 year old who's playing his first full season. I think that helps a lot too. When you have the quote unquote future of the franchise, very much being somebody who's right there with everybody who's, you know, he may not be scoring points right now, but, but darn it, he's going to back check and make sure he's that, you know, helping out that last line of defense every shift. And the rest of the team sees that the rest of the guys see that. And it does, uh, help pull them out of situations that uh, otherwise they might, you know, not be able to do. 
And so I, I think a lot of it is, is on the players to, to kind of do that, you know, and they are. And um, I am happy about that with this group of, of guys. Um, I mentioned it earlier, and there's there's been talk about this with both the offense and the defense uh, as they were going through that struggle, the idea of maybe the coaching staff needing to to change some things around. We did see uh, Tolvanen get into a game last game, and he gets a big power play goal for, for the Kraken, so that you see a shift there. You do see some mixing around of, of forward lines a little bit. Um, first off, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on how Tolvanen played? Because we haven't really talked about him outside of just last night's post game. Uh, and then also just the idea of of where the Kraken seem to be going forward line wise. Uh, I first of all starting with Tolvin and I was yeah. thoroughly impressed in his first game uh, as a Kraken. Obviously scoring the goal on the power yeah. play, it stood up as the game winner. That's a huge moment uh, in the game. But I, I think more than that, uh, the two hundred foot game, the back checking, uh, you know, doing all those little things right, the hard four checking, uh, I thought was impressive and and willing to block shots too. If you look at uh, after the game. Uh, Tolvanen got the Davy Jones hat mm -hmm. and Dave Haxtell in his little speech before that, he mentioned, yeah, Tolvanen got, you got the goal, but I like those two shot blocks a heck of a lot more. They're different words exactly there, but I like, I like those two shot blocks a lot more. That's more important. Um, and so Haxtell clearly liking, you know, the, 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 the entirety of Tolvanen's game, I think. Um, and, and that was certainly my takeaway. I was really impressed. Yeah, I was super impressed by him as well. Obviously, you know, the one thing we knew about him was the shot and seeing him take a couple slap shots, one timer attempts that are registering 90 plus on the radar gun like that is that is special stuff. And not just that, the placement like that power play goal. He put it in the one place he knew because Sorokin, heck of a goaltender, having a fantastic season, was playing a fantastic game up to that point. He had to elevate it to that corner if that play was going to work, and he did. Now, it wasn't just that it was fast. It was also accurate. So really impressed with that and and, and having that addition to the Kraken lineup, I think, is going to be something that they can take advantage of moving forward. But yes, I mean... I talked about it a little bit last night. You expect when somebody's new to a team, new to a lineup, that they're going to go out there and they want to show the coaching staff that, like, hey, keep me in the keep me in these games, keep me in the lineup, kind of thing. And so you expect to see them go out there and their first couple shifts just kind of hit everybody in sight and try to try to play physical and do all that stuff that the coaches just kind of eat up, right? But for, but the one thing that he did was that back checking that you had mentioned that playing that 200 foot game. I mean, there was times where defenders were out of position and he was covering for them. Uh, he was down trying to block passes. He was, he was really doing everything that he needed to be doing. He was playing lower than most Kraken wingers we've seen this season have played in the defensive zone. And so how much of that is a carryover from Nashville and what they were, what they were trying to work on with him there before he was waived? How much of that is him just trying to prove to this coaching staff what he can do? I don't know. As long as he's playing that way, though, I want him in the lineup because it's it is effective and it is kind of exactly what the Kraken have needed right now. A um, little bummed to see Morgan Geeky taken out of the lineup for it, but hey, I mean you can't argue with the results. Kraken pick up a win there. As for the rest of the forward lines and kind of what they're doing, big narrative, at least for me on these post games, has been that the top six has been quiet. It's been a long time since we're really seeing consistent production from anybody up there. Seeing some things shift around. I don't know. I think the biggest concern for me right now looking at the top six is feeling like Maddie doesn't seem to have a lot of chemistry with anybody that they've been sticking him with at the moment. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And and uh, the, that line has kind of gone cold, whether it's been with oh, Jordan Eberle's kind of been the constant, but yeah. uh, Andre Burakovsky, their last game, Jared McCann had been there uh, for a little while beforehand. Uh, and we talked about this, you know, a couple games ago where as talented as those players are on that line, I think you pointed out that of those three guys, though, nobody's really going to the net. There's not a guy there who lives at the net. They're all perimeter players. And uh, that maybe you want someone who might fit in a little bit better just stylistically on that line. Nothing against anyone there, but it's just not their game. And then moving Andre Burakovsky to that line last night, Burakovsky's a great player, but I don't think it fixes that problem. No. I think he's still more of a perimeter player. Uh, and so I think you've got to find somebody there who can go to the net. Maybe it's a Jaden Schwartz, uh, maybe, heck, even maybe a Ryan Donato. I, that's yeah. a thought that I had. We know he has the chemistry with Matty Beniers. Um, but I just think you need somebody on that line who's willing to go to the net and, and uh, you know, kind of crash for rebounds and do those kind of things uh, that the perimeter players can set up. Right, exactly, because that is part of it is, you know, normally you'd think, well, it's it's the center's role to be there, but Matty Beniers is one of those centers that, that kind of likes to be more of a of a, a free thinker, let's say, out there in the offensive mm-hmm. zone, wants to wants to move around, try to find soft spots on defenses, kind of constantly be in motion, and and it works for him. He's, he's a really smart player. That's the one thing everybody can agree on when it comes to Matty Beniers is just how smart a player he is. So you don't want to do anything that's going to take that away from him. Um, yeah, I, I think both of those suge- suggestions are good. The other name I'd throw out there is Brandon Tanev. Brandon Tanev is finding ways of creating chances with everybody who he's out there on the ice. And one of the things that I feel like has been an issue with Matty Beniers is Matty Beniers is good at creating maybe a turnover defensively, trying to get up ice, and a lot of times doesn't have a lot of support in those situations. Who does that remind you of? It's Brandon Tanev. So maybe if you can just kind of put together this like hyper aggressive uh, forward line with a Matty Beniers and a Brandon Tanev, where Brandon Tanev is going to just kind of crash the net, but he's also going to be somebody who's going to be, he's got the wheels and he's got that kind of vision to see when a play can, can really get broken up ice like that. And, and maybe he could join a Matty Beniers, something like that. And it would it would be nice to reward Brandon Tanev because he's been quietly playing really fantastic hockey. He's not necessarily converting all of these breakaway chances he's been getting, but the point is he's generating a lot of really good looks for himself. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been the issue, right, is finishing, although he finally able to break through. He's got a couple goals in yep. his last two games. Um, and so, yeah, maybe reward him uh, by putting him up on that top line. And it, it should be mentioned, too, after the Edmonton game, uh, Dave Haxtell clearly unhappy with his team's effort, as he should mm-hmm. have been. Uh, but he did point out two particular players, and Brandon Tanev was one of them, Yanni Gord being the other, yeah. uh, that that competed and worked really hard and and kind of showed them as an example of what everyone needs to do. Yeah, and you know, Yanni Gord was another name that I thought of with Beniers. And hey, maybe maybe if Shane Wright rejoins the Kraken after uh, World Junior Championships up, and they need to stick Shane Wright out there as the you know third line C, Yanni Gord's gonna be flexed over to wing. Maybe Yanni Gord gives you know gets a shot with Matty B. Just saying. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, maybe. Why? I mean, why not? Like nobody's scoring up there. You might as well try this stuff. Like that's the bottom line. It's just like with the Kraken power play. Yes, they were finally able to get a power play goal last night. So now you're what two two of your last uh, thirty attempts. Awesome. Like I still think there's <laughs> a lot of room to experiment to get that average up because that average is still not going to cut it. As you're going to be, you know coming down to the wire most likely to try to make the playoffs this year. So I'm still in favor of trying to be creative out there on the power play, trying to find stuff. I 
maybe go five forwards on the power play. Have Matty Beniers play back and play the point. He's really solid defensively. We know that about him. And he's a really good distributor. He, he can think up high. We've seen him score lots of points, getting great assists from passing up high in the zone like that. I don't know. These are just things that I think, you know, when when that specific part of your game is struggling as much as it is, it's maybe worth a shot. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, on a second unit, maybe Beneers like on the point. I still like Justin Schultz as the as the point man on the first unit. But I mean, heck, you could I talked about this on post game last night. You could uh, just have Sprong on one half wall and, and Tolvin on the other half wall and, you know, just dare other teams to, to try and cover both of the one timer options. Uh, you know, we know how dangerous that is, you know, when, when the Caps did it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with Ovechkin and they had um, who was the other guy on the other side? uh let's see it would have oh, been no lightning sorry lightning, lightning. Yeah. stamkos and kucherov yeah. thank you that's <laughs> like, stamkos and kucherov that's what i was going for yeah um but yeah yeah I, I think i think all that stuff needs to be needs to be considered and stuff because you know talking about the, the one-timer stuff tolvin obviously has the one-timer maddie he just kind of doesn't have that one timer. It's yep. it hasn't it hasn't really been working this season maybe in, maybe in the future um so that's kind of where it is. I just feel like the, the top six forwards have to get going. If if you're going to, you know, who knows how long the defense is going to have this switch flipped and going to play consistent and going to really be helping out the goaltenders. I think you have to take advantage of, of the time where the defense is playing like that to try to figure out how to get how to get scoring again. Because one of the things that they really struggled with was earlier in the season, the Kraken were able to outscore any defensive problems they had. But then this last, you know, th- that last 10 game stretch, or so they weren't able to do that. They were relying on defensemen for goals, relying on the fourth line for goals, and that can that can do it for you for a game or two. But you cannot play a full eighty-two game season trying to rely on that for all of your offense. Another question I have for you, RJ, is and I've been seeing a lot of talk about this on Twitter and stuff, and I don't know, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of it. But I do think that it gets it, it deserves to be talked about just because of how much discourse I have been seeing about it. And that's the idea of Gru versus Jones and whether or not there's a difference in how the Kraken play in front of either goaltender. Because one of the themes of that last, you know, 10 games where the Kraken were struggling was felt like Philip Grubauer was putting in some really, really solid performances for the Seattle Kraken. But the defense just wasn't there to help him out. And therefore, you know, we were seeing a lot of losses pile up and and some unhealthy save percentage numbers for Philip Grubauer as well. I mean, do you think that this team plays maybe harder for Martin Jones when he's in net than when Philip Grubauer is out there? Or do you think that's just kind of anecdotal? It's just, you know, confirmation bias if you already had that opinion. I, I do think it's anecdotal and and I've really tried going back through the games in my memory and thinking about it. Yes, Martin Jones starting, you know, while Grubauer was injured, did coincide with the Kraken playing some of their best hockey of the season. But it wasn't all that good, solid defensive hockey that Dave Haxtall likes. You know, Martin Jones was in net for that nine to eight win against the Kings. And yes, it was a win. Um, but that's the kind of hockey, you know, kind of defense in front of him that you would normally think that Grubauer would get if, you know, if you go by that narrative. Uh, and, and you know, there were other games like that eight to five Sharks game, you know, mm-hmm. that 
that can happen in front of Martin Jones too. And we saw it in the Edmonton game. Yes. Philip Grubauer was, you know, hung out to dry and allowed three goals four minutes and was pulled. But then you look at right after that, Yessi Pugliarvi left wide open in front of the net and, and beats Martin Jones. And Jones had no chance. Uh, the Kraken just were not playing well that night uh, and, and they continued to play poorly. So I think that is more of an anecdotal thing. Um, and really, it's just these cycles of, okay, is the team focused or not? Are they playing good defense in front of their goalies? Um, but I know this is something that we had to talk about because mm-hmm. um, it's it's really picking up on social media again. I mean, you you can see it from being in the building. In that Edmonton game, when Grubauer was pulled after less than four minutes into the game and Martin Jones comes onto the ice, there was a big, noticeable cheer from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, as much as we – don't necessarily like to to see it just because of what it means for Grubauer. It's something I think we have to acknowledge um, that that maybe portions of the fan base are, are kind of turning on Philip Grubauer. Um, and yeah, we've kind of made our opinions known that we we feel like it's it's the defense first and foremost. Dave Haxtell has said as much yeah. on that third Grubauer goal. He's like, yeah, I'd like to get the save there, but that's about the fourth thing I'm looking for on that play uh, as far as you know, things we did wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what do you think, Dylan? Is there a difference? I I don't I don't think there's a difference and I think a lot of this is holdover stuff from last season. When, you know, Philip Grubauer did it wasn't just the defense at times last season yep. and, and Philip Grubauer was leaky. We we know that. I mean, that's not um a secret and it's not necessarily something that's can, can totally be argued against as he had like historically low goals saved above average um numbers but i feel like this year that narrative is is different and it isn't that grubauer is not the the grubauer that we saw last season and i also feel like you know look as as i mentioned earlier when it came to 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 some other stuff last season was very very different for for this team and for everybody involved and all of those players having to go through it there's a reason that the team seems so different this year just you know yes some of that's bringing in a couple new additions but there's still a lot of carryover from last year's roster that leads me to think that that last year for guys like Philip Grubauer it was just everything else going on around the situation that maybe led to that that performance dip this year, I really don't think that there's been a performance dip. I feel like both goaltenders, at least as of late, have been playing roughly the same. I feel like for a little while there, Philip Grubauer was clearly blank, playing better than Martin Jones. I think Martin Jones was starting to get burned out after having to play just about a month straight um, covering for when uh, Philip Grubauer was hurt. I think at this point, you know, it is a situation where you can ride the hot hand. Um, maybe you have Grubauer as more of a 1A to Martin Jones's 1B kind of situation. But I feel like both goaltenders had been playing pretty well. I think it is anecdotal. And um, I do think that, you know, while last year there was some justified criticism of Philip Grubauer, I really just haven't seen it this year. And I'm just, I'm, I'm a little worried that a lot of fans are going to, you know, kind of really forever hold that first year against Philip Grubauer and the fact that he doesn't have a sparkling save percentage this year, they can just point to that and say, see, he's just bad when the situation around him in both situations has not been good. And, and I think could in some ways um, be it, be it, you know, a larger factor there, like the defense this year, I feel like that's a much larger factor than anything he's done himself. Uh, and I think the wins and loss record is just, it's at some point random for a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I think I think above all what both goalies have done largely this year most of the time mm-hmm. is give the team in front of them what they deserve. Yeah. 
and and that but that's great i mean that you kind of want that in, right. in some ways um you know because when a goalie's stealing you games you can get a little complacent and and you can maybe uh feel like you don't have to play as well as maybe you really do and martin jones had a few of those games where he was stealing games for the kraken but um overall i think both goalies have just kind of given the team you know what you reap what you sow as far as how you play in front of your goalie um and they just happened to have that stretch where they were playing good hockey or they were getting away with some bad defensive hockey in November in a way that you maybe can't get away with in January and February. And Dave Haxtell's pointed that out uh, mm-hmm. while Jones was in net. But I understand fans looking at it and seeing, I mean, just the, the, the win total and, and people will jokingly yeah. say, well, wins are the only important goalie stat, <laughs> um, you know, W's, but <laughs> as yeah. Daryl Sutter would say, yeah. but um but still, I mean, you, you look at it, it is kind of brutal. Martin Jones with 15 of the team's 19 wins. Grubauer mm-hmm. with 12 starts, only three wins. You know, until that changes, there, there's definitely going to be a segment of the fan base that, that you know, might turn on Grubauer. To which I will remind all Seattle-based fans, remember all those years with King Felix and the one thing he <laughs> wouldn't have in all the Cy Young races was wins and how pissed off we all were about that. Uh, just going to throw that one out there. Maybe wins aren't everything when it comes to determining a player's performance in a team sport. Imagine that. Uh, I will also say that Philip Grubauer, uh, just right there with Martin Jones, as far as quality starts, you know, uh, in proportion to, to how much they've each played. And Philip Grubauer also uh, slightly better when it comes to goal save above expected. Granted, both 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 goaltenders in the negative there. So just yeah. I will throw that one out there. But um yeah, I, I think Philip Grubauer, it's just a matter of time. The wins, if he keeps playing the way he's been playing the, and the defense stays solid in front of him, the wins will be there for him to pick up and, and things will start evening out. It's just like I said, I worry about long term because Philip Grubauer is going to be this team a, a goaltender for the Seattle Kraken for a while and presumably the starter for a while, for several more seasons. And um, I, I just don't want kind of the ghosts of that kind of write it off expansion season to to stick with him through the length of of his duration here i think that would be very unfortunate but we will find out rj in the future that's that's something far down the line even further away the next year's winter classic hosted in seattle yes yes definitely (laughs) just to just to try to go full circle here at the end of the podcast um, I, I got one last question for you in relation to the Seattle Kraken, what, what they've been doing, what's been going on with them and looking ahead. And that is RJ, when is Adam Larson's point streak going to end or will it continue forever? I think, I think forever. Uh, I'm going to tell you Seems the answer right. you maybe want to hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to end because Adam Larson is amazing. Is that, is that the correct answer? That is the correct answer. And you know what? I've been saying it for a while that I want to see him on a power play too. I'm just saying like, obviously he's a beast. He's, he's racking up points like, like nobody else. And uh, I, I still think that him and his, his love of shooting the puck, could be could be useful on the crack and power play from time to time. Care to guess? Uh, I'm trying to see right now. Yeah, he does lead Kraken defensemen in shots on goal, uh, tied with Brandon Tanev, 60 shots on the season. That's that's pretty impressive. And uh, you know, he had a, a goal last game. And I've got this bobblehead here for you. I know. I'm so pumped for up. that. Thank you so much and to everybody involved in making that happen. <laughs> Yeah. So and yeah, real quick. Thanks again to, to Benny Drawbars, yeah. the Kraken organist for, for donating that to Dylan. Did you see his outfit last night? I did looking sharp. 
the with the tux and the bow tie yep. and the top hat and the mustache. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, no, that was good. And I'm just gonna say it. You ready? Just just for everybody, because I, uh-huh. I got I got to while we were already talking about how great Adam Larson is. Shot wise, outpacing Yanni Gord, Daniel Sprong, Ryan Donato. Just saying. Wow. He likes to shoot Shooter the puck. Shoot. He likes to shoot Shooter the puck. Shoot. <laughs> shooting shooting percentage wise, tied with Yanni Gord. Just saying. <laughs> I think I think if we're just gonna do like Adam Larson appreciation hour, I don't have a problem with it. We should probably make it its own separate podcast. Probably. I guess you're right. Only four shots behind Jared McCann, just saying, like a legit sniper there. I mean he's <laughs> he's right in there with all these guys. Um, I can't stop him, folks. I, no, no, it's it's. I'm just, I'm just trying to milk it to to an exact one hour podcast now. All right, uh, we'll stop talking about that. Looking forward to to the rest of the week. Next week, I think is going to be a better week to talk about Shane Wright and his potential future and what's going mm-hmm. on there. As we as we know, um, I will say what we do know, which is that you know Ron Francis is going to be having meetings with some people involved up there about what they might be doing with Shane Wright. Kingston has received, I believe it seven, six or seven trade packages uh, from other OHL teams for Shane Wright. Should the Kraken decide to send him back to the OHL. Uh, but we're not going to know anything until Canada either wins or is eliminated from the world junior championship. So uh, next week we might have a clearer picture about what's going on with Shane Wright. That being said, he's playing fantastic up there and that's really all that matters. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, they've got their quarterfinal game today. So we will keep our eyes on that uh, and uh, give you our takes on that one. Yeah, it should be good. Uh, All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Deep Dive. Again, reminder, as the Kraken go on this road trip looking ahead, and I guess we should just briefly, I I think last night was a good palate cleanser so they could start fresh on this road trip. You agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was very much needed. Uh, just a reminder, this road trip, if, you, if you're looking for a fun place to go watch any of these road games, check out Queen Anne Beer Hall. Let them know we sent you. Uh, it helps us out. And uh, I guess with that, everybody, go continue to celebrate getting the Winter Classic next year. Uh, hopefully recover from any New Year's uh, you know, shenanigans you were a part of. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons, Absurdly Sane, Alex, Austin, Brian, Coop, Daryl, Duthin, Eli, Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joey, Joni, Joshua, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Maya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Scott, Sean, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 